0: Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Vice and Easy. Thank you for joining me this week. I always appreciate all your comments, all your likes, all your subscriptions, all your reviews. Everything always means a lot. It's just me. So, all of this really makes it worthwhile. Now, let's get into season three, episode six of Miami Vice, entitled Shadow in the Dark. T.L.D.R. Rent the movie Manhunter, released in 1986, starring William Peterson. If you'd like to see this story done a little bit better. (laughs) I was going to sin, which compliment, you know, put something nice and then something not so nice and then something nice. So let me do that. Before we get into this episode, I will let my feelings be known. I really enjoyed the cinematography and the blocking plot is a little bit lacking and i really liked crockett in gray now let's get into it season three episode six shadow in the dark per imdb crockett risks his sanity to try and enter the mind of a creepy bizarre serial home invader who might change his exhibitionist mo to murder or worse unless he's stopped in time So as we open this episode, we see a gentleman we have never seen before, who kind of looks like Polly Shore. To be fair, this is 1986. Polly Shore was not on the scene yet, but same kind of vibe. This is what I got. Just kind of doing weird things. He's standing in front of the drawbridge. He's kind of making shadow puppets with himself. The sound playing in the background, which unfortunately I did not grab a clip of, it's Two Rapid Formations by Brian Eno. And then we see him in the backyard by the pool of this beautiful 80s, very, I don't want to say art deco, but very much of the vibes. Beautiful big windows, glass blocks, pastel. Now, what's he doing at this house? So we don't really get to see the full MO. We see, I'm trying not to laugh. We see him open a bag of flour. We see him grab a knife. We see him put flour on his face as he shoves cold cuts into his mouth. And the camera kind of pants the knife, but nothing happens. And then the cold open is over and we go into the intro. This is where my beef starts with this episode. And usually I always try to stay positive. I promised you guys that I would try to stay as possible, as positive as I could. Now, what grinds my gears, so to speak, is that how am I emotionally invested if nothing has happened? nothing has transpired? We just have a weirdo. There's no harm. It is incredibly violating to have someone come into your house. Do not get me wrong, but you'll see where this goes and where my ire kind of lies as this episode progresses, and I will hearken back to my own episode. I believe it's the episode of Glades where I talk a little bit about the michael mann william friedkin conflict slash possible lawsuit because this doesn't really draw from the style of manhunter that michael mann claimed that to live and die in la did which i don't really think so like obviously it's like the 80s of the time william peterson oh the story is very manhunter and i said this as soon as i saw like the weird things but i was like uh, you know like Manhunter, he's very creepy, and it feels way more invasive, and there's a really sick level of violence involved with those crimes that draws you in. Silence of the Lambs, Buffalo Bills, I will never be able to not jam out to Goodbye Horses because of that movie, but this episode has so much potential so much potential let's get into it sorry you're already tuning out you're like bye this episode's over sorry guys I usually try to save my negativity for later on this episode but all my notes are like erotically question mark is this manhunter so after the intro vice shows up again why I know that Crockett and Tubbs, I think, were both involved with burglary. So I guess maybe that's why they want their expertise or they want to have them work with Metro in order to kind of get this down. And I even wrote a note, why are there so many officers on the scene? So what is this guy? Who is our flower faced foe and what is his M.O.?
1: What's this guy look
0: like?
1: Nobody's seen him. You mean to tell me he never wakes anyone up? Not yet. The whole point. What's the whole point? What's going to happen when he does wake someone up? Come on, the good stuff's downstairs.
0: And before they go downstairs to look at the meat and flour, (laughs) there is a weird painting on the wall in Done in what I believe is red lipstick that Crockett is looking at, and it's a great shot. I am going to commend cinematographer and the director of this episode the blocking is great sorry blocking is an acting term of like where you stand when you deliver your lines so how the shot is developed so all the actors have to practice their blocking in addition to delivering those lines when they're rehearsing and i really enjoyed it this episode because it really gave it much more of a cinematic feel and so it's a great shot you can go to the gallery i'm going to promo myself one more time you can always see the link tree in my instagram bio and you can always find the gallery in the description notes of each and every episode and thank you to imager for hosting it and has all the fun stuff there, and you can kind of follow along with the episode just to kind of get all the fun cues and all the fun stuff I talk about. Now, when they go downstairs, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, this is maybe my favorite line of the episode when Lieutenant Gilmore, who is the guy they're working with, if he looks familiar, he was in Escape from Alcatraz, Jack Thibault. I, I can't. No context, maybe vice. And send the meat to the lab. A man has a taste for choice cuts. <laughs> this, this deli meat. Maybe it's like, you know, finely sliced deli meat. These are very wealthy, opulent houses that he's breaking into. He's not breaking into working class homes. So he's not east eating Oscar Mayer cold cuts. He's eating the fancy stuff. Send the meat to the lab. Okay, I think, yeah, see, I can't even top this episode. I think, like, this is just the peak and it's all- <laughs> he says it seriously too send the meat to the lab oh my god so he goes over a little bit more uh when tobs asked about if there's any signs of forced entry no sign of forced entry kind of his MO is to remove the screen from the screen door so he's very silent methodical and he's never hurt anybody yet he's not taking jewelry he's not taking hoops gold he's not taking money he's taking men's trousers Yes, you heard that right. He is taking men's trousers. Now that they go back outside, we have Lieutenant Gilmore, who is not really stoked to be working with Crockett and Tubbs. He's already a little bit too into this case, and there's a crowd behind him yelling at them to go eat donuts. They're not doing a good job, that this is what we pay you for, that they want to find this guy. Gilmore gets a little peeved, tries to fight one of the guys. Crockett and Tubbs have to break it up. Again, Gilmore is not at all jazzed about working with the vice team
1: you get the first base with that dude then you talk to him.
0: again i laughed a little bit at first base i am not in a serious mood which i guess is good i'm hopefully this is an entertaining episode for you guys so Crockett and Tubbs are going over case after case after case they're assuming 600 cases already that they've gone through of different break-and-enters, different home invasions, when Captain Cahill comes in. I know him from Youngblood, and I also want to say, when I was going through his IMDb, I was like, Sheriff Lobo, that show really existed? I thought that was just in the Simpsons universe. So he has quite a prolific be he rest in peace. And he's very charming in this role. It seems like they kind of go a little bit back. There's a little bit back and forth banter. Jokes about it's cheaper to work nights than to pay alimony to his wife. Blah. blah, blah. And then when they're finally about to pack it in, because it looks to be about like 11 at night. Like it looks pretty late. Guess who comes marching in? Just like every boomer co-worker you have, they want to tell you, the younger generation, that you're not doing enough work in this next clip.
1: I want you to pull the case reports and see if the M.O.s check out with our man's profile. And I want it done tonight, all right? What's that supposed to mean? Well, Lieutenant, the records room closed at 11. We're pretty wasted. Look, the guy we're chasing doesn't sleep. You don't sleep. With all due respect, Lieutenant, we know our own pace. We've worked burglary before. I shouldn't have to tell you how to turn on the juice. Now you call security and get the keys and get it in gear,
0: guys. I'm busy. Uh, Clearly, you're not that busy. Number one, you're the lieutenant. This is your case that Crockett and Tubbs were called in to help with. And then you're guilting them for not working past 11 p.m. and not harassing security guards at the record hall to break in. You're not busy. You could have called. It was in 1986. Everybody had a phone at work and everybody had their own line. So just very funny. And again, I don't want to sound like a broken record. How can I be emotionally invested in this story if they need to catch this guy but what is this guy doing what is the threat that he poses I was much more creeped out by the home invaders I was much more creeped out by a lot of other episodes with similar mo's just with this like where I don't see the urgency and I don't want to blame the writers but I have a feeling this is my hypothesis this episode's supposed to be a lot, lot, lot darker, and network executives kiboshed that. That it was supposed to either be, like, a serial killer or a serial rapist, and the network put the kibosh on that. So now I'm going to try to go through with the episode and not just talk badly about it. Usually I'm, like, pretty, pretty fair with the episodes. I just—this one, I just—the acting, too, for how intense it is— Also, I will mention, I looked up the filming dates because I wanted to see how close it was released to the release of Manhunter. So it was definitely filmed after Manhunter was filmed. So Manhunter was released August 15th, 1987. Don't quote me on that. This episode was filmed around July 15th to July 27th of 1986. These poor guys, the entire cast and crew are sweating bullets. You can see in so many screenshots of Gilmore, of Crockett, every time I have a close-up of their face outside, they are sweating profusely. You know when it's like the hottest day of the year and someone makes you move or you have to move? That's exactly what this feels like. It harkens back to like the first couple episodes because you could just tell like, oh, I can see Tubbs' back sweat all throughout his suit. This episode just gave me very much vibes. Maybe that's why everybody's going crazy. That would make more sense if it was the heat. If they put that in the story of like, hey, it's like 105 degrees in Miami right now with 95% humidity. we will be like, understood. <laughs> Carry on. So as Crockett and Tubbs take a ton of files home and again, like they're doing this off the clock. Castillo is uh, just pulling up as soon as they're about to pull in. Note that that Crockett does not have the Ferrari Testarossa yet. He does have it later on in the episode. Continuity-wise, the reasons I could find for this were that possibly this episode was supposed to go after When Irish Eyes Are Crying as the second episode of the season and that things got jumbled, as Miami Vice and NBC like to do back then. So that there is one scene of Crockett driving the Testarossa. Don't know if that was, like, added back in, like, post- Production like a pickup scene because he's riding around with Tubbs the rest of the episode. Castillo basically lets them know that Gilmore wants him off the case, and and Tubbs are not going to argue with that. But basically, that that's not going to happen, and that if Gilmore gives Crocker Tubbs any issues, to let Castillo know. So always love when a lieutenant is looking out for his detectives. And no surprise at all that Gilmore never wanted them there in the first place. But whatever. The job needs to get done. And now it is morning. Crockett and Tubbs are at a very cute cafe. Crockett just seems to be drinking regular black coffee where Tubbs, I want to say he's doing some kind of like an ice latte or frappe situation. Very curious what that is. This place is adorable. I will do some research and let you know if it's still open. Back in 1986, Puerto Antonio at 1649 Washington Avenue in Miami is the filming location. And it's just adorable. And the song that you hear playing in the background is Tierra Dora by Ruben Blades, who is a Panamanian rock star. And... They're just kind of talking about other cases Work on burglary before Crockett's mentioning that he does have Someone that he can talk to Someone that he busted years ago However, the situation that he found him in Is quite interesting and does play later on in the episode So let's have a listen
1: You grab him and grab him, I found him Fell off of the terrace and broke his back mm-hmm. Hear him tell it, did think I pushed him A lot of guys, they got their wires twisted. Here's one for you. This guy's kink was he liked old men. Used to break in their apartments where old men were living alone. Attack them in their sleep. Beat them senseless and then steal their watches and their cufflinks and jewelry and stuff like that. Some kind of father complex, huh? Yeah, something like that. Oh, boy. Here we go.
0: Okay, so here we go. Surprise, surprise. Lieutenant Gilmore has angrily entered the cafe where Crockett and Tubbs are just enjoying a nice cup of coffee or a frappe, put a letter down on the counter, grabbed a chair, turn the chair around so he could face Crockett and Tubbs crosses his arms and looks at them with the stain as Tubbs reads his letter
1: I would not do this to you what are you doing to me if this was your case I'd stay away I resent this and I want you to know it let's go visit this friend of yours
0: now, this is a little throwback to the pilot that I heard, I don't know if this is actually factual. Tub says, "Keep the change, Benny." And I was like, "Remember how Crockett calls Caroline from the payphone you see Benny's Cafe, B E N N A Y apostrophe S Cafe, in that neon sign and that super iconic shot?" That kind of popped into me but then when I was like what's a completely different filming location but that would be really cool if they tied into the pilot I would really like that so again they're gonna go visit this guy who is very scary and terrifying targeting old men that lived alone waking them up in their sleep beating the crap out of them and robbing them is horrific and terrifying and I'm not Trying to downplay breaking and entering. It's incredibly violating, it's incredibly scary, but that makes more sense to have that kind of passion to catch this guy than a weird guy that puts flour and eats deli meat. But I digress. So they're going to go talk to him and they're going to go see if maybe he can help them get into the mindset of this cat burglar. They go to visit him, I believe, at like a very minimum security establishment because he's in the gym okay they have this one machine where I always want to do it it's very old school basically just kind of like jiggles your fat I don't know exactly how it works I guess it's supposed to get your body moving to burn calories but it's where you have the white strap that goes all around you and you lean back so the white strap is connected to the machine stretches out into a loop and then holding your back up and I kind of never wanted to do that because I was like oh I think that would give me like really bad insecurity just like watching anything jiggle but i kind of very curious I want to see how they do it I think it's supposed to basically move all your muscles without you really having to do it so it's good maybe for people who have mobility issues or joint issues but very curious this is a very classic old man gym. he's going to take them up to the roof so they can have a better view of the city and I must say it is a gorgeous view of Miami now before we get into the scene where Gilmore, Crockett, and Tubbs are all talking with George. Keep in mind that he is in a wheelchair. Remember, Crockett found him after he had broken his back falling off a terrace. As they're talking to George a little bit more about this guy's MO, George basically says this guy is totally different from me and that he was just after the merchandise. He wasn't being weird and sniffing pants. He just was there for the money. He was there for one reason and one reason only. And then he's talking about one of his old buddies that had an M.O. for penthouses, that I guess that was his thing he liked to climb up. Gilmore gets really angry and agitated at George for no reason, pulls a super a-hole move, and pushes him out of his wheelchair, Crockett and Tubbs, Tubbs runs over, screams at Gilmore. They hold him back and they get George back into the wheelchair. And like this blew my mind because like, wow, this is not just unhinged behavior. This is like violently unhinged to hurt someone who is disabled. Like this is kudos to the actor because this guy seems like the last guy on earth you would ever want to meet. And it seems that Metro agrees with me, too, because they cart him off. And as Gilmore's running his mouth, uh, Crockett, Castillo, and Taps are all talking. And Crockett does have a little bit of empathy for Gilmore and ask Castillo if he should be a little bit more sympathetic in his write-up. And Castillo just gets straight to the facts and just says, write down what you saw. And I guess they're going to send us off to internal affairs. And then they have to go back to the precinct and get back to work. Now, again, this is the limited information they have on this guy. Just one more time, just for a little laugh. Let's hear what they got. The
1: only thing we know for sure is he likes men's pants. Eats raw meat and works houses in the northeast grid. And he'll do it again. No particular night, so he probably doesn't have a night job. He works days and isn't a vegetarian. Wonderful. <laughs>
0: this is why Tech stops by and lets them know that there is a possible break-in. And Crockett and Tubbs head off to the scene of the crime. A lady runs out to them and Metro and lets them all know that there's a man in the kitchen with a gun. We see Crockett enter the house, looking incredibly handsome, I may add, hearing gunshots. When he gets to the kitchen, Crockett has his gun drawn, and then we see him make eyes with the target, and we can see Crockett loosen a little bit because it's Gilmore. Gilmore is standing on top of this woman's—what's it called? It's the big freezer that you put on the ground. My grandma has one. I forgot what it's called. Um top open freezer, I'm sorry, big freezer, shooting, and he says, I got the guy in there, the guy's in there, the guy's in there. Once they're able to coax Gilmore to get off the freezer, surprise, surprise, nobody's in there. Once again, in the span of three minutes of this episode, Gilmore is carted off again. This time, he is actually going to a mental health facility. I have net house in my notes. That is not proper language. Let's not use that. While all this is transpiring, so while Crockett and Tubbs are going back outside to talk with Metro, while Gilmore is getting carted off, we see the same creepy guy from the cold open sitting watching the scene unfold open and close his mouth. It looks like almost like he's trying to pop his jaw open. Then we get a full montage of our creepy cat burglar looking at a light bulb opening up his mouth open close open close putting the flower on his face actually just tosses the flower in his face again i made as many gifts of this as i could please go to the gallery and check these out and you see there's actually a great gift where he has like i see the flower in his hands and he he's by this pool he just kind of throws it up and it it cascades down i really like that Then we see him smell the pants. I kid you not. We see him put the pants in his mouth. Then we see him light the pants on fire. And he's in his bed or wherever he lives with candles behind him. And you know the yellow light up lights from crime scenes? He has those as well, illuminating his spot in the back. And then we see some tinfoil. I don't think he's on heroin, but let's put that in there for future because he does mention tinfoil later on the episode it could also be um what's the fear of sunlight it was in better call saul oh i forgot the name of the phobia but it could be that so it could be or like tinfoil to protect people from reading your minds who knows he is using tinfoil Oh man, well, obviously, we just saw Gilmore have a nervous breakdown because, again, once he was leaving the scene, he said, If you want to catch these guys, you got to think like them, you got to be like them, and like kind of going off on a tangent, which I guess is getting a little bit to Crockett. Crockett's having a lot of trouble sleeping. He's at a coffee shop drinking whiskey, classy man. Love this, love this. When Castillo stops by and chats with him, and you can see that Crockett's already a little bit off his rocker trying to get this guy's ammo.
1: It's funny when you work all night. The whole world seems like it gets out of sync with you. It's like you can sneak up on it. seems that way. Just think straight. <laughs> <laughs> need to think straight.
0: I need to think like him. Yeah, you could definitely tell. There's definitely a change in his tone. This isn't... Not that Crockett is a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. He is obviously a veteran dealing with PTSD and, and further PTSD from going undercover and being divorced and not being as present in his son's life as he once was. You can definitely tell that there's a lot underneath of Crockett, but usually there's enough of that charm to kind of, you know, kind of skirt around it. But in this, you can kind of see, like, this this is weird Crockett. So then we see him get into the Testarossa go to what seems to be like a park by a house. I was kind of trying to scope this out. It's a little bit quiet because I was like, oh yeah, way to pull up on a quiet crime scene, trying to scope a guy out with the Testarossa engine running. Yeah, way to draw attention to yourself. But turns out it's kind of like a park and he sees the burglar's painting. And as he's turning around, this tree jumps on him and it turns out he's a nightmare. He's at home at the same fight as Dan's, wakes up. You can definitely tell he is definitely taking his work home with him. Now he's back at the precinct and he's looking at the board. The board has the different addresses of houses that have been hit, uh, what's been taken, so forth. Just other facts, dates. So trying to piece it together. I couldn't find out an exact pattern with the dates either. And then you can see it goes from trousers, 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 the last note, like flour and meat. So I don't know if he started out always doing the flour and meat ritual or if that's something that he has developed later on. They do mention that he is getting closer to his victims. Like before, I guess he would just go into the back room or kind of just open the door, peek in, go to the kitchen. But it seems that they're definitely have gotten signs that he's getting closer to the bedroom closer to the people in the houses that he's invading and they are worried it's going to escalate into further violence whether it be against men or women we have no idea yet now he gets the whole vice crew together to scope out a house that he had a feeling the cat burglar would get
1: sonny we haven't seen anything
0: you want us to check along the bay?
1: I'm telling you, I I s- swear that he's here. I think he's getting into these kinds of houses. Ones with lots of glass. I like like he's. I want somebody to watch him. We got zip, Sonny. You want us to keep cruising? No, I'm sorry.
0: Thank you. Now, for those of you who have not seen Michael Mann's Manhunter, definitely go give it a rent. Um, I wouldn't say it's the best Michael Mann film. My favorite is Collateral, but it's not. That's not the best either. That's just my personal favorite. But also, uh, with Manhunter, I will watch anything that William Peterson is in because he's just so charismatic. So charming and so handsome, and it's a good thriller. And you could definitely—I'm not spoiling anything—but this is when I wrote again in my notes: "Manhunter, ha 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 ha, Manhunter did it, Manhunter did it." Now that the rest of the Vice Squad has gone home, so Trudy, Gina, Swytek, Trudy looking amazing in a cutout black dress—I should say—it's very like fashionable now, where you kind of cut out the sides, but she was doing that in 1986. Crockett and Tubbs are alone, and they can get a little bit more real with each other in this next clip.
1: Do you think I'm crazy? No, I just think that neither one of us have had too much sleep lately. You didn't answer my question. Well, there's a thin line between hard work and obsession.
0: And just as they are packing it in, the camera pans up to a woman reading in a bedroom and we see our creepy man in the shadows, walking up the stairs, walking into the entrance of her room with his hand splayed out. I don't know if the knife is in the other hand. The next scene, we go to the hospital to check in. The doctor is talking to Crockett and Tubbs. Said that the woman is really shook up, that he did assault her. He tried to sexually assault her, but couldn't. They don't elaborate on that. Thank you for not doing that. Then the doctor tells Crockett and Tubbs basically to leave her alone because she's super upset and that she's really not in the mood to talk. Crockett, however, really is pushing the bad cop card here, even though he's not really doing anything, like vicious per se but again like he really is going against the better judgment of the actual victim in order to further his case which did he not just learn his lesson last week with the good caller <sighs> i digress and unfortunately this is how the conversation plays out with the victim in this next clip
1: take it easy lady please. Oh easy, easy. Oh
0: just please keep going i thought he was gonna kill me Take it easy, lady. If someone had broken into my house and tried to sexually assault me and this is what I heard, there would be more stabbing going on. Let me tell you that. <laughs> All right, back to the clip. <laughs> relax,
1: relax, relax, relax. Just relax. Now go back into the bedroom when he first came in. Tell me, what was he wearing? I can't remember. He was, he was... I was just with the bed when he walked toward you was there something in his walk or his uh, build did he have a limp I can't remember what was he wearing a uh, shirt what color was it I can't remember Come on, lady, please. Please. You gotta please try and help us. I'm trying. Crack it.
0: <sighs> Thank you, Tubbs, for being the voice of reason, because that is just... I get what they're trying to do, but, like... I Okay, so to be fair, the only thing I will say in their defense, because if that were me being questioned after someone had just attacked me, not be pretty, but... The dates you originally see, I believe it's like October 7th to the 21st, and then it goes from November 5th to November 9th, four days. So it goes from two weeks to four days, and then it goes from four days to three days. So it seems like he's doing this more and more, and the timeline between the separate break-ins is getting shorter and shorter. So I understand they're on a tight schedule here, but like, bedside manner, guys. Oh my lord. Now we go... (sighs) back to our guy i'm just going to call him cat burglar creepy guy his room with the candles and the police lights wild again he's kind of doing his little ceremony getting that all in and then we're going to go back to the precinct where tubbs is telling castillo that they weren't able to get much information from the witness victim victim first witness second Then, while Crockett is basically, like, going over his habits and markers at OCB, we see a cutscene of the burglar and, like, again, his different M.O.s and all his weird things, and Crockett wants an all-night stakeout. Now, guess who's not really trusting in his mental state right now? It is Castillo in this next clip.
1: How can you isolate the target? There's a theme to what this guy is. I'm starting to get the drift of it. Something doesn't break soon. This goes back to burglary. Oh, come on, damn it, Marty. Come on, I put the time in on this. I'm getting so close to this guy. I know this guy. Knowing how to bow out is part
0: of the job. That is actually super mature advice that I wish I had kind of taken to heart when I was younger, that it is better to leave something that isn't serving you when you're not doing the best that you can. You know, if personal things are getting in the way and it's really causing you to not be as properly productive as you used to, there's no shame in just saying like, you know what, I'm not at my best and it's better than I quit and get fired. And it's better to go in a high note than to go in a low note. And I think that's true. And that's something that took me a long time to learn to not only not feel like a failure of, you know, I just some things you just can't handle and people are different and people have different support groups. So just what you're doing or, you know, what your boss can handle versus what you can handle. You don't know what their different support systems are and what they're doing to preserve their mental health and their stress and their physical health. So I think that is great advice. It really is good to know when to bow out and to let others take the lead. And then we're getting another scene with all the weird items. We're seeing meat. We're seeing flour. We're seeing red lipstick. And then we're seeing the gloved hands go into the flour. We see Crockett staring back at the mirror as he smothers the flower on his face. I guess, you know, you're trying to really get into his mindset. That's what Crockett's doing. But again, this is just after Castillo gave him the great advice to bow out and to know when to stop. And instead, Crockett is doubling down on bad decisions. Now the morning has come and Crockett and Tubbs are looking incredibly handsome, scoping at the scene. Crockett doesn't like how he feels, saying if something doesn't feel right. Well, Tubbs suggests, hey, maybe let's get some breakfast since you haven't eaten much. And Crockett wants to take pictures of the houses on Polaroids just so we can have them you know, to see their similarities within this cat burglar's MO. And Crockett tells Tubbs that he definitely has a sense that he's going to hit one tonight. He wants to do a static stakeout. Night scopes, so It won't spook him. There won't be cars. There won't be lights. There won't be noises. And he is going to get people to miss some of their days off just so they can join him. Which, of course, as Tubbs points out, is going to make him very popular. Then they get a call on Tubbs's car phone that Metro has booked the Prowler. Interesting. So they go down to Metro. This is Peak 1986. There's a youngish looking kid in the interrogation room uh, being offered a cigarette by one of the detectives <laughs> who then lights this kid's cigarette. I was like, wow, that is 1986 in a nutshell. Because again, Crockett's not smoking on camera. I need to double check to see, like, if Don Johnson had really quit in real life. And that's kind of why. And, um, or if it was more the network kind of clamping down. But apparently not for this kid. <laughs> so as we can tell, we've seen enough of the Prowler to know that this is not him. Different face shape, different hair. He doesn't have the dangling Starlink earring that our polyshore Shore lookalike has. So right off the bat, we know it's not the same guy. And this guy seems a little bit too... Coherent. He's able to spell his name. He's offering up information, and Crockett can sense it right off the bat. This goes copycat, and he wants his name in the papers that it's not the guy that they're after. Then we get to a great scene. Again, I really like that this is blocked. Basically, it's Castillo standing up, facing away from Crockett. Crockett just really despondent, sitting on the couch, kind of sunken over, all in black. But you can't see Castillo's face. so You can hear Castillo's voice, but you can't see his face. Great blocking in that scene. And Castillo tells Crockett that it's over. The orders have come from downtown, that this is the guy, and that the case is off. And then Castillo then gets a call that Crockett has mail down at Metro. And then he goes downtown with Tubbs. What they mean by mail is that either someone has sent Gilmore mail and that has made its way back up to Crockett or there's mail that came for Crockett that Gilmore somehow got his hands on because there is a newspaper with another weird painting and lipstick that Gilmore is clutching on his chest now he seems to be silent in this episode after what has transpired So we are led to believe that he is in a mental institution and he's very, very, very unwilling to give up the paper at first. The nurse has to go ask them and let them know that it's here and he has to kind of wrangle it out of Gilmore's arms. Another great scene in the way that it's shot with Crockett getting super close up to Gilmore, both extremely sweaty let me see if I have the clip.
1: You give it to me. Metro booked to do before this paper was published. He's still out there.
0: Ooh, interesting. So the again very manhunter Hannibal Lecter vibes here we're always one step ahead so with that Crockett races down to captain and tells him what's going on and that they got the wrong guy Crockett is very passionate this next scene if you want to bring me
1: something to the contrary, I'll open it up. But until then... Uh, yeah, so then, what do you want? How many bodies do you want? You want one? You want 10? 15? Because this guy is rubbing it in our faces! Kevin, we got the problem in a cell downtown. Now, I'm not going to law i Miami and waste valuable police manpower because one tired cop decides he's got the vibes! End of the discussion.
0: Oh, well, yeah, you can see that Crooked is definitely, definitely... Going a little overboard, and I like the use of of vibes. Very LA of them. (laughs) So, surprise, surprise Crockett, Tubbs, and Castillo are all outside, and Castillo is talking, you know, that there is something to be said about police intuition, but there's also something to be said about fatigue. And that Casio says that Crockett is off duty as of now, and that he wants Tubbs to make sure he gets home. And surprise, surprise, that doesn't happen. Crockett and Tubbs are at the diner. Crockett is going over Polaroids and different pictures of the houses, because remember, this is what he wanted to do. He wanted to have pictures of all the houses. And he gets a feeling that this is the one. And then when Tubbs just gently mentions that he's a little bit tired or that might he be tired? Crockett freaks out, flips out, storms outside, slams the door behind him. Again, this this nice little diner. Leave it alone. These people have been nothing but kind to you. <laughs> and they're heated and they're talking outside. And you can just see Crockett is at the end of his rope. And Tubbs is a really good friend and partner in this scene. Really kind of like... Calming him down without being condescending, without saying, calm down or relax, lady. (laughs) (laughs) And Crockett says that he's going to ask Gilmore to pick a photo from his Polaroids to see if it's the same house that Crockett thinks it's going to be. Because him and Gilmore are so far into their mind trying to act like this copycat burglar that maybe they're onto something. So Crockett goes to visit... Crockett goes to visit Gilmore at the institution. And there's a double-sided mirror that Castillo and Tubbs are watching through. And again, the acting, this original story, they must have edited it because Gilmore is so tense. Again, he's not speaking. He is completely silent And Crockett asks him to pick the photo. And you can tell that it's been a long scene, that we're not seeing all of it. And Crockett's really tired. He just really wants... Gilmore to pick the picture. Again, Gilmore, not saying a word, is like super tense, sweating, his neck muscles, his veins are popping out. And he slowly... I made a GIF of this. He slowly points to the Polaroid he thinks it is. It's the same one that Crockett thinks it is. It's also the same one that his ex-girlfriend Brenda was living in. Spoiler alert. And Crockett, in celebration, slaps it on the double-sided mirror. So Castillo and Tubbs going to give a chance and they're going to go pace it out now when they get to this house you will remember it from nobody lives forever where crockett's ex-girlfriend brenda lived and in this case it is a different woman living inside that we'll get to in a moment but by the time that crockett gets there tubbs is backing him up by the time that crockett gets there the screen door has been removed again that's one of his mo's it's a silent Method of him breaking in. Number two, these are all fancy houses in Miami. They say the Southeast Quadrant or the Southwest Southeast Quadrant. These are all very fancy houses that he's broken into. There's not an alarm, there's not flashlights or floodlights. We even had these at my sorority house. So when you would walk down the alley to go to the back door, the lights would shine just so, you know, it kind of would pick you up and perk anybody up that if there was anything usually it was a raccoon but if there was anything out of the ordinary so i'm not quite sure why these people have such horrific security systems or just a complete absence of any kind of security system but i digress unfortunately their intuition is right as he's already in he's already in the kitchen and we hear some kind of a weird knocking And it's just like a very light wrapping and this girl with a very 70s kind of dorothy hamill i don't say dorothy hamill but like a very shaggy layered cut very cute comes down her nightgown coming down the felt stairs that we saw at brenda's house and she's like who's there who's there and this is what she hears Like, it's still terrifying to have a man covered in flour break into your house silently, but, like, the flailing and the screaming. Obviously, I took a gif of him flailing, and then he gets T-boned by Crockett. Crockett takes him down, starts beating him up, and this woman is rightfully terrified because Crockett has not introduced himself as a cop yet. There's this crazy guy covered in flour, screaming in her house, middle of the night, and... After Crockett beats him up, he kind of like comes to and realizes that he's terrified this poor woman half to death and super sweaty and super stressed. And he pulls out his badge and he says, lady, lady, I'm a cop, to reassure. her. And then after they're taking him away, <laughs> this episode should not be as funny as it is. This is what he says to Crockett.
1: You live with me, don't you?
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm getting hauled off in Metro Uh, Don Johnson looking like a million dollars in that dark lime green though now once he gets brought in for questioning this is just a sample of some of his responses
1: where do you live my house I need the exact address
0: where the sun never shines oh man yes this kind of back and forth goes on and on she asks how old he is he says older than you Again, great shot. I believe I used this for my YouTube cover art of him getting interrogated on one side and then the double-sided mirror with the wall and then Castillo in the dark with the light on the other side. And I just think that's a really great use of blocking. Again, I will commend this episode on what it does right, and that is cinematography and directing. Now, Castillo tells Crockett that he's back on desk duty and... We see a shot of Crockett looking into the double-sided mirror. And then we see the cat burglar look directly back at Crockett. And you can see kind of like a matchup of their faces. It's a really good shot. Then the cat burglar screams, picks up a chair, and throws it, breaking the double-sided glass. And with that, Crockett wakes up sweaty, looking around. He's back at the St. Vitus dance. He's Okay. And the screen cuts to black, which I think is our first black end screen executive producer, Michael Mann. And that is the episode. Was it real? How much did Crocker lose himself? Who knows? Let's break this episode down. Thank you for bearing with me for all that. (laughs) Ah, not a whole lot of outfits in this episode. Because, again, there wasn't a lot of undercover work. There wasn't a lot of special occasions. I am going to give the best dressed men. To Crockett, he is tied with himself because I really liked him in that purple undershirt with the double holster when he's at OCB with a little bit of the Bart Simpson hair going on. And then I really like him in the gray sport jacket when he's visiting George with the black pursels and the black um, crew neck t-shirt that he's wearing looking like a million bucks. Trudy is going to be our best dressed woman. It is not the best picture that I was able to get of her cutout dress, but is very fashionable today. And again, Trudy always looks a million bucks, but this she looks like a million, 1.5 million bucks. A uh, wild card is going to be our homeboy with the dangling earring smelling pants <laughs> because you can't really see what he's wearing. He just kind of just looks disheveled and... The only thing that really gives them away is the dangling earring. Now, as I make these comparisons to Polly Shore, the guy who actually played the cat burglar died pretty tragically at around like 42 years old. So rest in peace. And I don't really have a lot of iced tea on any of the other guest stars. Um, like I mentioned, Jack Tabo was in Escape from Alcatraz and I actually recently did a night tour of Alcatraz and was very cool and very spooky and highly recommend. And it is a state park and they have preserved a lot of land for birds. So birds will migrate, birds will mate. There's a lot of nature that is taking part of Alcatraz. So even if you're going, it is a little bit of spooky experience, but you are contributing to mother nature. And isn't that great? Now, again, I only have one part of the songs. I have the Brian Eno song, which I forgot to make a clip of because it was the cold open and nothing really went on the cold open. So I kind of forgot to record it. I do apologize. And then we have the Ruben Bledes song. So I'm going to give my best song of the episode to Brian Eno. Then last but not least, we're going to finish it off with my favorite quote of the episode as a surprise to nobody, but just want to once more, thank you all for liking, for subscribing, for telling your friends, for leaving a five-star review on Apple podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast, for following, for liking, for supporting me in everything I do. It really does make this worthwhile. And we'll get into more wild and crazy episodes as the series progresses. And send the me to the lab. A man has a taste for choice cuts. Even though I'm a vegetarian, I consider each and every one of you who like and support and listen to the podcast my choice cuts. I'll see you next week. Have a great one. And thank you again for supporting the Vice and Easy podcast.
1: Hey, man, Miami Wise is number one new show.